Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And I invite you to take out your Bibles now and turn them in the New Testament to the book of Titus. And uh, Titus chapter number 2, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair in front of you, and you could take that Bible and turn to page 168, and you would be at Titus 2. You know, one of the easiest things to do in the Christian life is to forget that people are watching us. Jake Kessler, who was the president of Youth for Christ, describes a conversation he had with a young lady at a Youth for Christ summer camp. This is his description. He says, this particular camp was in Ohio, and after one of the services, some kids had come forward to the altar. One young woman was having a difficult time, so the counselors asked me if I would speak to her. We sat down in the front row of the chapel, and through many tears, her heartbreaking story began to unfold. She'd been molested by her own father about three times a week since she was four years old. She'd never told anyone about this and carried a great sense of guilt, as though she were to blame for her father's actions. As she told me the story, I noticed that both of her wrists were scarred. Tell me about your wrists, I said. Well, I tried to kill myself. And Kessler said, I'm used to myself. Killing yourself is a relatively simple thing to do if you really want to do it. If it is just a bid for attention, the attempt is usually feeble. And she said, well, I got to thinking. We have a youth pastor at our church. Oh no, I thought. Now I'm going to hear an ugly story about her getting involved with some youth pastor. But that wasn't it at all. She said, I've been watching him. When he's standing in line behind his wife, he squeezes her right in church. They look at each other and they hug each other right in our church. One day I was standing in the pastor's study looking out the window and the youth pastor and his wife walked out into the parking lot. There was only one car in the parking lot. Nobody was around. Nobody was looking. That guy walked all the way around the car and opened her door and let her in. Then he walked all the way around and got in himself and there was nobody even looking. That's a nice story, Kessler thought. But I couldn't make a connection between that and her problem of incest or attempted suicide, so I asked why this seems so significant to her. And she said, well, I just got to thinking that all men must not be like my dad, huh? I said, you're right. All men are not like your father. Jay, she then asked, Do you suppose our youth pastor is a Christian? Yes, I said, I think he probably is. Well, that is why I came tonight. I want to be a Christian too. See, men and women, that is the power of a consistent life. And that principle is a central theme in the book of Titus. Uh, And it's a key point of emphasis in chapter 2. 
of Titus. For example, there's certain things that we are to display in our life, and in verse 5 at the end it says, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Notice, notice the end of verse 8, it says there are certain things we are to display so that they will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. And then at the end of verse 10, it talks about certain things we are to display in our life, again, so that we would adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. A consistent life has great power. We've been involved in a series of messages we have entitled, Designer's Fashion, Adorning the Doctrine of God in Every Respect. And as we come to chapter 2 in our study of the book of Titus, he's going to begin this chapter by speaking to five groups of people, to older men and younger men, to older women and younger women, and to bond slaves, by principle, I believe, talking about the workplace. And what we're going to do as we move into chapter 2 is we're going to divide our discussion by gender. So I have entitled our message today, Principles of Godly Manhood. And we're going to look at men, and we're going to see them addressed in chapter 2, verses 1 to 2 and verses 6 to 8. And I'm going to read those verses and will invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. So from chapter 2, verse 1, he says this, But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound in faith, in love, and in perseverance. Then down in verse 6, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. In all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach, so that the opponent will be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. So as we talk about principles of godly manhood in our session this week, we're going to begin by talking about older men, and then secondly, we're going to talk about younger men. Now, I want you to notice that there is a very significant transition in the book of Titus between chapter 1 and chapter 2. Remember, in chapter 1, at the end of it, he's talking about false teachers. He's talking about those who are out to deceive others. They twist and distort the Scripture. They prey on other people. They are out for themselves, particularly when it comes to money and stuff. And remember, chapter 1 ends with verse 16 where it says, They profess to know God, but by their deeds they deny Him, being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed. Then we come to verse 1 of chapter 2. And I want you to notice this is a tremendously contrastive statement that he makes. He says, But as for you... And, of course, he's speaking here directly of Titus. And, by the way, the you is very emphatic in the original. He's saying, Titus, you are to be different. You are to be distinctive. And remember, as God is speaking through Paul to Titus, he's also speaking to you. And he's also speaking to me that we are to be different, that we are to be distinctive. And he says, as for you, 
speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Now, I want to make several observations about that phrase, things which are fitting for sound doctrine. The first one is that doctrine is not a dirty word. And that seems to be a common reputation in the Christian world at large today that doctrine has, that it's a dirty word, that it's derogatory, that it's dreary, that doctrine is dull and downbeat and depressing. That seems to be the common impression. And again, I've been around long enough to tell you we're in an era where doctrine is looked down on. But doctrine is not a dirty word. In fact, doctrine is just the Latin word for teaching. That's all it is. It's the Latin word for teaching. And doctrine is not just for leaders. Doctrine is for all of us. Teaching is for all of us. As for you, speak the things which are fitting for doctrine. And he particularly says sound doctrine. I want you to notice another little observation about this word. We've talked about it before. It is just the word for healthy Healthy doctrine, doctrine that is accurate and doctrine that is balanced. Keep your finger here in Titus. just want you to turn a page or two to the left. The book previous to this is 2 Timothy. I want you to notice in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, this whole idea of healthy teaching. Notice it says in verse 13, retain the standard of sound words, that's healthy words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, and guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. What is the treasure? It's this, men and women. It's the sound doctrine that God has given to us, and we are to be careful to guard it. It is a treasure which has been entrusted to us. And then a couple pages to the right in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, it says the time is going to come, this is a prediction by Paul, when people in the church will not endure healthy doctrine, sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, you know, hearing things that, that make them feel good. They will accumulate, pile up for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth. And will turn aside to myths. So when we, are, when we are grounded, this is so important, in sound doctrine, we have spiritual immunity to certain things. We have spiritual immunity to captivating oratory. We have spiritual immunity to appeals that come to us that are based on earthly values. We have spiritual immunity when it comes to pandering to the flesh if we're grounded in sound doctrine. Another thing I want you to notice about this whole idea, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. This is so important is that sound doctrine, listen to this, leads to sound living. Healthy doctrine leads to healthy spiritual character. And he says, by way of contrast, as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. And what are those things going to be? Well, we see them laid out for us in verse 2 and following. 
Now, when you read down through the next number of verses in chapter 2, by implication, you can make some conclusions that part of the issues that were plaguing the followers of Jesus at Crete were things like this, because the sound doctrine he's going to share is all encounter to these things. Part of what was happening among the believers is that there was immature acting out going on. There was selfishness, there was crudeness, there was substance abuse, there was dishonesty, there was thievery, there was gossip, there was slander, there was a rejection of biblical responsibilities and roles in marriage, there was shallowness, there was harshness, there was unkindness, there was complaining, and there was whining going on. And I say to that list, wow, that sounds just a little too close to home. But he lays out for us a different way of living, a distinctive way of living. And these principles of godliness, these are targets that we are to develop by his power. We don't simply just grunt it out in our own effort, but we develop them in our life by his power. So the first group he's going to address are older men. Now, what constitutes someone who being an older man? I mean, there's really a lack of clarity on exactly what that would be. The implication seems to be that an older man is someone who's lived long enough to be experienced, to be a veteran in life. We know when we, when we look at the younger women later on in Titus, we see younger women are deeply immersed in issues with their children and kids and home responsibilities. So you get the idea that the older group is someone who isn't quite so deeply immersed in all of those kinds of things. And so just for the sake of some kind of understanding, we're going to consider older men as being men who are 40 years of age and older. How many people do we have who are men who are 40 Let me see your hands. I want to see every hand of a guy who's 40 and up, okay? So if you're 40 and up, think about these verses being directed to you. And by the way, I want you to think about what is a common mental picture that people would have of older, mature men? Sometimes it's, they get, as they get older, more cynical, they get more cranky, Um, Some of you are laughing at that statement. You know, and when when older men are influenced by the flesh in the world, as they get older, they tend to do one of two things. They tend to either go mild or they tend to go wild. They have this tendency to go mild. That's where they become more passive in their marriage and, and more passive in their family. Or they tend to go wild And they might have what has been called a midlife crisis, which is really an attempt to try to return to their youth, maybe developing a wandering eye. See, that's what commonly happens, but that's not what's supposed to be happening in the believing community at all. So let's think about older men. He says there in verse 2, older men are to be temperate, to be temperate, and This attribute is among the qualities we saw that were listed for a leader. Leaders are to be 
temperate. Remember that sheet we gave you on the marks of maturity? And we described temperate as being sober and alert, having clear judgment, being stable spiritually, uh, not giving to excesses in any area of life. Someone who is temperate rules his desires rather than his desires ruling him. And someone who is temperate avoids extremes. They avoid extremes with their job. They avoid extremes when it comes to spending money or overspending money. They avoid extremes when it comes to fun and recreation. And they avoid extremes when it comes to family. See, someone who is temperate has balanced priorities in life. Older men, he says, secondly in verse 2, are to be dignified. They are to be dignified, which is, by the way, the very opposite of verse 12 of chapter 1. Remember the description of the Cretans. Someone who's dignified is the very opposite of that. I think the NIV says that it should be translated this way, as worthy of respect. An older man should be worthy of respect. That means they're not superficial, they're not frivolous. And other people have a sense that they're in a protected safe situation when they're with somebody like that, just like that teen girl at Youth for Christ. He goes on to say older men are to be sensible, to be sensible. And uh, again, we saw that same word come up in the qualifications up in chapter 1 and verse 8. In fact, this word sensible we're going to see repeated in every one of these groups over and over again. You know, we've all known, folks, we've all known men who've gone off the deep end when it came to choices. And when they do that, they tend to rationalize, they tend to justify. That's not being sensible. Someone who is sensible has a sound mind, has a genuine concern for what God says is important. They have a genuine concern about the Word of God. They have a genuine concern about sin and salvation and purity and holiness and judgment and eternity. Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible. And then he goes on to say they are to be sound in three arenas. First of all, they are to be sound or healthy in faith. An older man is to be persisting and trusting Christ. There should be this steady reliance in his life. This is the vertical dimension of functioning. They are to be sound in faith and sound in love. I think this is the horizontal dimension. As older men relate to other people, they should be sound and healthy in love. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, and he says, Be imitators of God and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That's a description of what older men are to be like. Imitating God, walking in love, giving himself up for other people and serving them. You know, it's, it's interesting to think about who wrote those phrases. It's the Apostle Paul. You remember that guy? Remember, remember the description from Titus 1 about the Cretans being beasts and brutes? Was there anyone who was more beastly than the Apostle Paul? I mean, think about it, what he did to people. 
And yet, the love of Jesus Christ invaded his life, and he went from being a beast to being a tender heart who gave himself to other people. You see, that's what a mature man does. And he goes on to say, not only sound in faith and in love, but also sound in perseverance. The NIV uses the word endurance. See, it's not that that an older man lives a a perfect or mistake-free life because there is no such life. But it means that he continues to develop and deepen his relationship with Christ. Even as he has to walk through difficult times, he's enduring in that walk with Jesus Christ. He keeps an eye on the prize. He's looking for the greater reward. And when the fierce storm comes as it will come, the mature man, the older man, rides that out with his eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, in Romans 5.8, it says, tribulation brings about perseverance. That's our word, that endurance which brings about proven character. You see, when you have the difficulty and you keep your eyes fixed on Christ and you ride that storm out, that brings endurance, and endurance ultimately brings proven character. I think really what he's saying here about older men is that they're to have spiritual grit by resting on the rock. And when they rest on the rock... They can become an anchor point for others. And you saw that with Jay Kessler. It's exactly what he was being, an anchor point for a young teen who needed an anchor point. Okay, so there's a description for older men. Let's also look at the younger men. So if we had the older men as being those 40 and over, the younger men would be the males who are under 40. So how many males under 40 do I have? Let me see all those hands. Okay. So in a special way, you need to listen up as a younger man. By the way, Dennis Rainey has written a new book called Stepping Up. It's a call to courageous manhood. And one of the things I really like about this book is he gives Five steps that a male is to take in his manhood. And the first step is the step of boyhood. Boyhood. This is the era of discovery and exploration. This is, you know, how boys are pushing and probing, and we have a little phrase, boys will be boys. Well, that's the first stage is being a male. The second stage is the stage of adolescence. This is the era of major transition. This is where you have to begin to wade through some new things really in your life, a peer pressure and hormones and a growing sense of independence. And at this stage, you have to be more than just a boy who is beginning to shave. The third step is the step of manhood. This is the era I like to call it of the big step up. This is where you're adding significant responsibility in your life, that of a job and a marriage and becoming a parent. And what's really interesting is it's very easy to want to step backwards because that's such a big step. The fourth step is the step of being a mentor. This is when you are in the era of investing in others, particularly those who are younger than you. Because you now have wisdom to share. You can share your struggles and share your failures and share your victories. 
And then the fifth step of manhood is the step of being a patriarch. This is the era of maximum influence. This is when you become a generational messenger. You know, you, you have not only children, but you may have grandchildren, and you have an opportunity because you've been around for a while to influence multiple generations. And each of us as a male is called to take the next step. And what we need to do in our journey to manhood is avoid stepping back down. And, and by the way, I want to give away a copy of this book um, by Dennis Rainey. And I'm going to give it away because, you know, I, I encourage people to say, I'm encouraged when people sit to the front. And so, bro, thank you for sitting at the front. There's your copy. See, there, is some, there can be a reward to being close to the front. This is a great book, and I hope you'll enjoy uh, working your way through that. But what does Titus say to the younger man? Well, he says to Titus, number one, I want you to encourage them, and number two, I want you to be an example to them. Look at verse 6. He says, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. That's our word again that we've seen popping up. It means to have a sound mind. Remember what the boyish tendency is? The boyish tendency is just to be impulsive and be impetuous. And what he's saying to the young men is you need to be led by biblical truth more than by your glands. And we do. I don't need to tell you this. We live in a permissive and indulgent climate. And someone who is a young man who is being sensible is someone who chooses godly things over fleshly things. There's someone who will delay temporary gratification in order to have eternal impact. Someone who is a young man who is sensible will pass on short-term pleasure, sexual pleasure or financial or material pleasure, in order to gain long-term lasting satisfaction. Really think what he's saying to the young men here is be men, not boys. And he goes on to say there um, to Titus, in all things, Titus, show yourself to be an example to the younger men. Show the younger men how to live. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul told Timothy, in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity, Timothy, show yourself to be an example and here's a basic principle that it's important for you to understand, particularly if you are younger, but even if you're a little older, if you desire to see a certain spiritual trait in another person, live that way yourself. Live that way yourself. See, it earns you the right to be heard, and secondly, it reinforces what you want to teach when you teach it. Thomas Brooks said this, Example is the most powerful rhetoric. And having raised four kids, I can say that's true. Now, he's not saying here to Titus, be a model of perfection. He's not saying that. He's saying being a model of growth. Keep stepping up in manhood. 
What is he to be example regarding? He says, be an example of good deeds. Good deeds mean that we serve other people. And we're, seeing, we're going to see, this is a theme in Titus. Good deeds, good deeds, good deeds, good deeds, good deeds. It's going to come up over and over again. Doing good deeds to other people. As a man, if people were going to think of you, how many people would say that is true of you? That you're a man of good deeds. How many people would say it's true of me? He says, you need to be an example of purity in doctrine. Remember again, the the people out there that mishandle Scripture, twist it, they distort it. This phrase is translated in the NIV, in teaching, show integrity. And then, be an example of being dignified. Same word we saw in verse 2. Someone who is worthy of respect. You see, even as a young man, that ought to be a trait that you're developing. So that again, others have a sense when they're near you that they're protected and safe. This makes a huge difference in a person's dating life if you have that perspective. And he says also be an example of being sound in speech. That's our word healthy again, healthy in speech. Young men are not to have speech that's hurtful, that is insensitive, that is cutting, that is rude, and that is crude. When we are talking to our spouse or talking to our kids or talking to people at work or talking to our friends, our speech is not to be hurtful, not to be insensitive and cutting, not to be rude and crude. And he goes on and adds this phrase, which is beyond reproach. That's just the idea of integrity. Manhood and integrity ought to be synonyms. It ought to be just a synonym. Man, integrity. Young man, integrity. And notice he goes on to say, you might underline the words if you mark in your Bible, so that, in verse 8, so that the opponent may be put to shame having nothing bad to say. Literally, the word opponent means the one contrary, the one who's contrary to truth. It could be referring to the enemy, Satan himself. It could be referring to a false teacher, It could be referring to those who want to criticize Jesus Christ. Really what he's saying here is don't provide the enemy with ammo. Don't provide the enemy with ammo. We want them to have nothing bad to say. We want the situation to be that they would have no real case. They would have no cause for significant criticism. Okay, men. Older men, young men. Let me ask you this question. Anyone feeling a little inadequate right now? Yeah. We have those feelings. But I just want to remind you about some men. Do you remember David? Do you really know David's story? Do you know that David was someone whose father and brothers had a very low opinion of him? In fact, on the day that the prophet Samuel came looking for a king for 
Israel, everybody else was in the house. And David was exiled out to care for the animals outside. David was someone, maybe you can identify with this in your own life, who was underestimated and dismissed. And yet God called him and God changed him and God used him. Think about Peter. Oh, man, there's a guy who was impulsive and impetuous, who had that great foot-and-mouth disease, had a tendency to embarrass himself over and over again. Maybe that's a little bit of a description of you, and yet God called him, God changed him, and God used him. And then you have a guy like Paul, who's actually writing this letter, and he was a driven guy. Maybe that's you. He was all about doing everything right. And he had a propensity in his life, Paul did, to be combative and to be confrontive, to be harsh, to be critical. A tendency for verbal and physical abuse. That was Paul. And yet God called him, and God changed him, and God used him. Men. Anyone think Christ in us is inadequate? Not at all. Not at all. Now, having looked at this, I want us to talk about some life response as we come to a close. And here's the first life response that I think God wants from me and he wants from you, and that is to keep stepping up in manhood. You know, think about those steps of manhood, and to to take the next step, and not just to get frozen on a step. And the second life response I think that we can have is to utilize these verses that we've looked at as a template to pray. What I mean by that? Well, older men, you can pray for balanced priorities related to your job and money and fun and recreation and family. You can pray for a genuine concern, what God says important. Uh, You can pray for persisting and trusting in Christ even as you face difficulty. You can pray for growing into an anchor point for others. Keep stepping up in manhood. And if you are a younger man, you can pray to choose to consistently be a man and not a boy, to develop a heart for serving others, to be sound in speech, not hurtful, insensitive, rude, and crude, to grow into being an anchor point for others and to keep stepping up in manhood. Father, we would pray that you would take us as men and grow us into tools that can be used for your glory and honor on this planet because we know there's a lot of hurting people out there, some of them in our own families, some of us in our community who need men be representatives of Jesus Christ. We pray we can be that to his honor and glory. Amen.